Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. The Torah is filled with references to what people will call sacrifices. Sacrifices are really a mistranslation of the Hebrew word korban, which means that which brings us closer to God, or korbanot in the plural. Now, let me go through two of the major sacrifices, or korbanot, to use the Hebrew term and more accurate term. One of them is the korban ola. The ola is the burnt offering. That's the offering that a person would bring, and it would be entirely consumed on the altar. Nobody would be able to benefit from the actual sacrifice because the Kohen wouldn't get a portion of it, the priest who, would, who officiated, neither would the person who offered it. Then you have the shlamim, the peace offering. The peace offering, you would give a part of it to God by placing it on the altar and it would be burnt there. Another part would go to the Kohen who administered this offering, who officiated there. He would get a part, and another part would be consumed by the person who contributed this offering, this karban. So those are the two models, the ola, the burnt offering, and the shlamim, the peace offering. There are other sacrifices, but we won't go into all the details. So this week's Torah portion begins with God commanding Moses to command the Jewish people concerning the burnt offering. And this is what it says in the very beginning of the Torah portion. God spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son and his sons saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering which burn which would burn on the altar all night until morning. Rashi makes a very astute observation. Throughout the Torah when God speaks to Moses to speak to the Jewish people about a certain commandment, Invariably, it uses the expression, Daber el b'nei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel, or emor l'vnei Yisrael, say to the children of Israel. It's a little bit of a milder expression. Daber is a little bit more harsh. But very rarely does the Torah use the term, command the children of Israel. Why does the Torah have to use such a harsh term? Just speaking to them, telling them what God wants would be enough. So Rashi addresses this question, and he quotes Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the great Talmudic sage, and he says, says Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, a person needs to be urged even more in a place where there is a financial loss. That's how it's translated. In other words, what it's saying here is that when the Torah wants you to, to fulfill a commandment, in which you will incur a loss, you might find ways of getting out of doing the commandment because it's something that will take away some of your income and maybe people are reluctant to give away their money. So the Torah has to tell you, no, Torah commands you that this is something that you need to be conscientious about and do not shirk your responsibility because of the financial cost. Now, Rashi doesn't just say financial loss. He uses a term, chesaron kis. That Hebrew phrase is translated literally as 
your pockets are empty, are going to be lacking. Your wallet will be empty. What is the reason for Rashi to say, put it that way, or Rashi's source, which is the Midrash? Why does Rashi have to, and the Midrash put it that way? Why can't it just say a financial loss? So the Rebbe once explained in a very simple level that even if the loss is very, is total, your whole wallet is empty, not just part of your income, even then you have a commandment and you should not try to shirk that obligation. But every teaching of the Torah has a simple meaning, a straightforward meaning, very literal meaning, but it also has deeper layers, an understanding of this, of this concept of being commanded to do something when there is something that is depletes your pockets, or empties out your pockets. What exactly does that ex- expression mean? What is the deeper meaning of that? So in order to explain the deeper meaning, I'd like to share with you another time where the Talmud uses that expression, chasar and kis, where your wallet or pocket is being emptied. The Talmud says concerning the coming of Mashiach that Ein ben David Ba, the son of David, will not come. Son of David referring to Mashiach, who's a descendant of King David, until the pruta, pruta is a small copper coin, will be missing from the wallet. In other words, where people will have nothing, not even a measly pruta, like a penny, there'll be such inflation that there will be nothing left. You, you, your money will have no value. That's the simple, straightforward understanding of that text. But there are a lot of questions over here. Let's start off with one. Why does it refer to the son of David? Why can't it just say Mashiach? That's the term that's used in the Talmud. But here it emphasizes the son of David, as if something has to do with King David, the ancestor of Mashiach. And then when it says that you will not be able to, Mashiach can't come until you get rid of all the money, that means that a person will, will be penniless. That almost means that Mashiach could never come because it can't imagine a scenario where the whole world's population will be so impoverished. So there must be a deeper meaning in that as well. There's a Hasidic word called Yismach Moshe, who gives this very interesting commentary. He says that the word kis, which we translated as wallet or pocket, has another meaning in Jewish law. When the Talmud discusses the anatomy of an animal, and likewise human anatomy, there's the heart and there's the pericardium, which is the pocket around the heart, the casing of the heart. So he understands that the word a lack of kiss, a, a, an empty, an empty uh, pocket around the heart as a symbol of when your heart is no longer there in terms of your individual needs and wants. The Hebrew word for the coin, pruta, could also mean individual. Prat means specific, individual. When will the son of David come when the people of the world are no longer pursuing the with passion their individual personal needs. 
but they're more concerned about the collective, the communal needs. They're more concerned about the divine because God is also in exile. So if we want to come, we want Mashiach to come, we want redemption because we're going to benefit from it, that's not the ideal. The ideal is where we want it because we are taking God out of exile, as it were, and we're saving the whole world. But even this explanation needs more clarification because it suggests that Mashiach will only come when all of us will be such saints that we have no personal interest. We divested ourselves of personal interest. That's something that we can't imagine happening in the near future, and yet we believe every day that Mashiach could come. So there must be a deeper meaning to this as well. Another question, if you want to indicate the heart, the seat of passion, there's a Hebrew word for that, lev. Lev is heart. Why use the word kiss, which refers to the pericardium, the part around the heart, when we're dealing with passion, and passion and heart go together in biblical and Talmudic literature? What I would like to suggest is that there are two models for the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach will come, as they say, by hook or by crook. We have gone through thousands of years of exile, and everyone has recognized, every great Jewish leader, that we are living in messianic times. We are on the verge of this phenomenal redemption, the complete and true redemption, and with the coming of Mashiach, who will bring us out of exile into the world of redemption. But there are two scenarios. There is a way that we could bring Mashiach by virtue of us asking for it, showing we want Mashiach, but our desire for Mashiach could be one of a peace offering. We want Mashiach because we want peace. We want tranquility. We want to be able to make a living and be able to benefit from the world in which we live and not have all the conflicts. We want to experience physical pleasure, material prosperity. Yes, we want to give some of it to God as well. We want to serve God as well. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And you know what? If that's our only reason to want Mashiach, God will say, you want it bad enough? I will give it to you. I'll give it to you sooner than later. But that's the lower level. That's the shlamim, the peace offering. Why was it called a peace offering? Because you made peace with God, because you gave part of the offering to God by putting it on the altar and having it burnt there, which, of course, God doesn't need the offering, but he needs our gesture that we show we want to give something to him. There's peace between us and others because we give the Kohen, the priest, who didn't have any other source of income except the gifts that the Torah assigns for the priest, for the Kohen. So we're giving him his share, so we're making peace between ourselves and the Kohen. And we're making peace with ourselves, our soul and our body. Our body is happy to do something for God because it gets something in return. So there's peace at all levels. That's wonderful. That's the scenario for Mashiach that involves our own personal, individual interests. But there's a higher level. The higher level is where your sole focus is on Mashiach taking us out of the spiritual exile, where God's presence will be revealed to the whole world, and all we want is to study his Torah, to fulfill his commandments, to bask in God's light. Maimonides actually, at the end of his work, Mishneh Torah, 
speaks of these two scenarios. In one scenario, at the very end, he says, in the time of Mashiach, the Messianic age, the delights will be as abundant as the dust of the earth. He's appealing to people who are still grounded in the desire for material things and for physical pleasure. And that person should know, Maimonides is saying to him and her, you should want Mashiach even if you're still at a low level. But in a paragraph before that, he said the sages and the prophets, they didn't want Mashiach for power, for all the benefits, the fringe benefits. They wanted it so they can be able to devote themselves freely to the study of Torah, to spiritual pursuits. These two models or these two scenarios are represented by the difference between Mashiach as a descendant of King David and Mashiach a descendant of King Solomon. See, Maimonides writes that when we identify Mashiach, he has to be a descendant of David and Solomon. Why, why does he have to mention Solomon? After all, if you're a descendant of King Solomon, you're also a descendant of King David, and you also have to be a descendant of King Solomon's son. Why is it important to mention these two? King David would have sufficed. The answer is there are two scenarios. The scenario of Solomon is one, the word Solomon, Shlomo, is the same as the sacrifice Shlomim, the same root, peace, because he had peace in his day. There was tranquility, there was prosperity, there was an abundance of everything material and physical, which paralleled the spiritual wealth that was experienced then with the building of the first temple, in which God's presence was very palpably felt. That's the peace offering model for the bringing of Mashiach. That's the model associated with King Solomon. But there's another model, the model of King David. King David is known for his passion. You look at Psalm 27, King David says, I only ask for one thing, he says, from God. All I want is one thing. I want to sit and dwell in the house of God all the days of my life, to gaze at his pleasantness. God, he wants God for the spiritual aspect of it. He's not interested in the material things. King David devotes an entire chapter, chapter 119 in Psalms, the most incredible chapter, 176 verses, all of which point to his obsession with God, with God's Torah, with God's commandments, his love, his passion for it, the delight that he experienced with that. That's the model of David. And that's the difference between the pericardium, the sac, the thing that surrounds the heart, and the heart as metaphors. The heart metaphor is the one of passion, pure, unadulterated spiritual passion. The thing that's around the heart is the external things, the things that don't count as much, the things that our inner soul is not driven by. It's the outer part of our personality that is driven and excited by the material things. That's represented metaphorically by the pericardium, by the thing that surrounds the heart, the kiss, the the pocket, so to speak. And that's why the Talmud says, the son of David will not come until we get rid of the kiss. We empty out that kiss, that sack, that cover of the heart. That means we get rid of the external reasons for wanting redemption. We're not phased by it. We're not motivated by it. We're motivated by the inner desire to be connected to God in his 
most spiritual and pristine state of existence. And that's associated with the son of David. Son of David here, not just a descendant of David, but the, someone who follows the model of David as opposed to following the model of Solomon. So if you want the higher level of Mashiach, the higher, more advanced level, you have to get rid of the externalities. And that explains a very puzzling midrash. Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, one of the sages of the Mishnah, was asked, when will the son of David, here too he uses the word son of David, when will the son of David come? And he quoted the verse over here, this is the law of the burnt offering. What did he mean by that? This is the law of the burnt offering? He meant to say, you want to know, not when Mashiach will come, you want to know specifically the dimension of Mashiach, who's the son of David. Oh, for that you have to focus on the burnt offering. That requires a passion where you're consumed by this fire and every part of you is consumed by it as opposed to the peace offering where only parts of it were consumed by the divine and heavenly fire. That is what the Torah therefore means when it says, and when Rashi explains that in the name of Rabbi Shimon, that when do you have to encourage a person to do a mitzvah when there is a lack of the wallet, the pocket, when the external aspect of the heart, the pericardium, as it were, is empty. That's, to do that, you need a much stronger, much stronger command. You have to, can't just speak to the people, you have to command them. The word commanding in Hebrew doesn't mean only command, it also means connect. You have to connect the person to a higher consciousness, and then they will not need the external aspect of their heart to motivate them to do God's will, to bring Mashiach, but you will do it from the inner heart. May we soon see the unfolding of the drama of the messianic arrival and the rebuilding of the holy temple when we will be able to bring this burnt offering together with a thanksgiving offering to thank God for all the miracles that we will experience and have experienced in the past. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.